Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio series. Episode 35, Fellow Travellers. The year is 1886, but not one that's entirely familiar to you. This fashionable street of London townhouses, for example, is no different in appearance than the one in our world, a bastion of the eastern edge of the city. And as in the history of our world, you will find peddlers and merchants who roam such streets looking for buyers and customers. But perhaps you might wonder just who they might be if you were to hear this particular conversation between two figures carrying a collapsible table and a sign that says, Learned Herbalist. Poor monkey's fault. He was just so very protective of me after I taught him sign language. It really wasn't until he started stealing knives, then using them, that it grew to be a problem. Still, we seem to have lost him somewhere around Baden-Baden. That's quite a story. It is, isn't it? So what sort of pets have you owned, Dan? Dogs, mostly. What sort? Mongrels. Uh, Gwendolyn, I, I'm always happy to get some extra time to spend with you, but what exactly are we doing out here? By here, you mean? A pleasant residential neighborhood of Georgian townhouses. Yes. Dressed as a pair of... What are we exactly? Street herbalists. Don't adjust your turban. It's supposed to sit like that. And I'm supposed to be Indian. Don't be silly. You're a Moroccan Jew. I don't think they wear turbans. Enough about the turbans. The sign I could get was an herbalist, and the costumes came from our collection. We're improvising somewhat. Oh, so I don't need to know anything about herbalism. Well, that's good. Take this pad and pencil. Is this part of the herbalism? It isn't. What's the time, Dan? Uh, now, 3.28. Tell me when it's 3.30. In two minutes. No, I mean as precisely as you can. Oh, so, uh, what do you think of Mr. Tesla? Nikola? He's something, isn't he? Well, I guess for a genius he seems okay. He's a bit of a headache to look after. Fortunately for all of us, I've got a couple uncles who are about as nutty. I wouldn't call him nutty. No? Eccentric, perhaps. Eccentric, then. In a dashing sort of way. That cute little moustache, those soulful eyes. But where are we with the time? It is 3.30 now. Is that a stethoscope? It is. Do herbalists use stethoscopes? This one does. Now, quiet. I'm listening. To that guardrail? Yes. Is the guardrail breathing? Shh! There. Take this down. A-L-I-V-E-I-N-C-E-L-L-A-R-R-O-O M-C-H-A-I-N-E-D. Got it? Yes. All right. There we go. Now, let's move on. What? Quickly, let's pretend we've just seen the perfect corner for our pitch over there. I'm a little confused. What did the message say? Uh, alive in la uh, Let me see. Alive in cellar room chained. It's from Ponder. Precisely. That house is Professor von Hoffmann's, which I had suspected was the most likely place for him to be if he was alive, and thankfully he is. So you had Mr. Tesla send a message on his machine? Asking Ponder to bang on the pipes if he could in Morse code. This amplified stethoscope was able to hear his message. Brilliant. What message did you send back? Be safe. We'll return. 
And when are we going to do that? I have an idea, but I'll have to ask my father. Is it inappropriate in some way? Of course not. I don't need his approval, but I need to add my plan to his master strategy. <laughs> the way you talk about your father, he could be some sort of Babbage machine. You wouldn't know it to look at him, but sometimes I think he is a bit. I think a computational engine would look more like Mr. Tesla. What rubbish! He's quite good-looking. For a computational engine. Why, Dan Abraham, I do believe you're jealous. What? Of that little guy? Oh, that'd be mean. Why? He looks to me like he got picked on a lot as a kid. Oh, yes? That happened to me once, and only once. Meanwhile, in the cargo hold of the SS Spencer, amidst the creaks of the timbers and the pit-patters of the ship's rats, a somewhat more unusual sound comes from a large packing crate on the side of which is written, Contents. Coffins. Hello? Cyril? Hello? I'm in here. Where? Here. This crate? Uh, I believe so. All right. You push, I'll pull. Thank you. D'accord. When we concealed ourselves in the Graveyard King's smuggled cargo, I didn't think the crates might be given another couple of taps with nails before being brought on board. They're quite conscientious, these smugglers. Oh, my back. Uh, I've been longing to return to England, but I didn't particularly imagine it like this. It is a novel method, we. Oui. Why did you choose such a small crate? Well, I... Uh... I'm not particularly comfortable around coffins and skulls and bones and, and that sort of thing. So I didn't want to get into one of those large crates that said coffins. So I climbed into this smaller one that said funeral bunting. What was it? Funeral bunting. A little morbid, perhaps, but when you come down to it, it's just bolts of dark cloth. That was the crate I was in. The one that says coffins. <laughs> there were no coffins inside, Cyril. What? No. I suppose they are not particularly thorough regarding costumes. Smuggling seems easier than I expected. Uh, I will say, Father Reynard. Uh, it's Paul, please. Paul. <laughs> I'm still rather cloudy on why you chose to have us re-enter England like this instead of us simply donning some disguises and producing some forged papers. As I've said, my father's got friends who are dab-hands at forgery. Well, Cyril, you know I am a man of God. And I am also a man who is under a vow of honesty. I have taken it upon myself to never lie, unless it is absolutely necessary. And this isn't? We Jesuits, Cyril, are trained to be logicians of the first rank. We have learned to parse each action, thought, and philosophy rigorously in search of the meaning and the method through which the divine reveals itself to us. That leads us to certain conclusions about how we must live in the world. In my studies, I have become convinced that dishonesty, whether of word or deed, is a very grave sin. Is it hard being a priest? Do you mean the study and the ordination? Not particularly. Oh. But I suppose I mean the life. The life? Well, no wine, no women, and all those dreary songs. 
Oh, you wrong the music, my friend. Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, all Catholics. Well, that may be, but... And as to the wine, voila. What is that? If the label is true, it is one of the masterpieces of the Pinot Noir grape. Do you have a wine corkscrew? Of course. I'm a gentleman. Here. Merci. No glasses, I'm afraid. So we share the bottle. Where did it come from? The crate I was in. It's full of very, very nice wines and a couple of Spanish ones. <laughs> I always wondered who the French made fun of. Everybody. That is why you all hate us. I don't hate the French. No? I'm no fan of Paris, I'll admit. More a Mayfair sort of chap. But you, you seem a perfectly presentable fellow. Oh, thank you. I think you are very handsome. Oh, thank you. A beautiful young man, just discovering his adult visage. Strong chin, yet delicate cheek, and the most lovely blue eyes. I'm... that's a bit... Uh, what? Straightforward. My vow of honesty, as I mentioned. Oh. I felt like saying it, saw no reason I should not, so I did. But, well... Vin, oui. Music, oui. Women, no. Oh, you give yourself to God? Well, of course. But I love men. You know, sexually. Ah, yes. Oh, yes, I know. There are those who quote Leviticus or Romans about men sleeping with men. It is a deep and difficult task to parse every truth that the Bible gives us, as the same words have been used to justify slavery, revenge, murder, war. But I know my Bible, and I know an all-loving God. At times I wrestled with my religion and even my faith, but I never have wrestled with who I am. That sounds wonderfully... Yes? ...relaxing. And that sounds like the horn that signals that Dover is within view. Let's get back into our crates. Yes. You know, that is a very small crate. It is. It's really more the size of a... Box to put a coffin in? Well, there is more than enough room in mine. No reason for you to be uncomfortable for the rest of the journey to your homeland. Hmm. There is quite a bit of room in there. There is. And beaucoup de vin. And good company. Sounds rather jolly. All right. And with that, the handsome young man steps into the crate with a dashing young priest, pulling the side up after him. It is later that same afternoon when Lady Brass, disguised as a dour Scottish journalist, makes her way to Old Town, known as the Chinatown of Edinburgh. If this appellation sounds strange to your ear, remember that this is a different history than our own. Here the Opium Wars ended before they began, with the entire Imperial Navy sunk at the Battle of Xiongpi by the precisely calibrated artillery of the British fleet. After this catastrophe, the Emperor sued for peace. And in the years since, the Qing Dynasty has been sending its youth to great engineering academies of the West, including Edinburgh, 
whose old town has the bustling energy and international appeal of what we might call today a technology hub. She crosses the busy street and enters a nondescript shop front, where a large muscular man in a red cap stands guard. Ms. Townsend Trelawney with the Press and Journal. Madam Howe is expecting you. This way, please. She follows through a red velvet curtain into an office of Asian splendor, with sandalwood sculptures, porcelain vases, and an ink and brush painting of an autumn forest behind a large oak desk. Also behind the desk is a woman of stern mien, her gray hair in tight braids and her blue robe carrying the air of the Imperial. Your note said you wished an interview. That's correct. You see, my editor is running a feature on what he calls the new Nabobs of the North. Nabob is an Indian term. I am Chinese. Well, that's as maybe, but I still... I do not think you wish to conduct an interview. Oh, no. I had you vetted. I see no reason to meet with people I do not know. And what did you discover? Very little. Except you do not write for the Edinburgh Press and Journal. No? No. And I have my suspicions that you are not Scottish at all. Oh, really? The eyeglasses, the tweed jacket, the pad and paper. It seems like a costume you are wearing. You have, what is it? A patrician air, like you own the world. I think mostly the English have that. Well, Madam Hal, I'll admit I've done a bit of research on my own regarding you. Oh? Aye. Despite your adoption of traditional Chinese costume and cosmetics, you were born here in Edinburgh and have never visited the land of your ancestry. You got me? Well, good on you for asking about. If you want to do business with me, madam, I'll need to know your real name. Are you sure? That's what you're after, yes. Business? I certainly hope so. You wouldn't believe the number of times some Jack and Apes comes in here looking for an opium den. Madam Howe, you are the leader of the most powerful clan in all of Old Town. You personally supervise four factories located in this city, employing over 200 workers. 287. Congratulations. You have a considerable reputation as a mechanistician, yet most of your factory's output are Osat's replicants of already existing devices and machinery, with one or two key adjustments made to keep ahead of patent infringement. Pardon me, madam, but are you suggesting that there is anything unseemly or illegal in such business practices? Nothing illegal. And in our case, imminently useful. You have considerable technical skills, yet the business that keeps your factory going, manufacturing cheap counterfeits of other people's inventions... I prefer the term thrifty replicas. As you wish. Your thrifty replicas have educated you in how to combine considerable manpower with rapid manufacture of novel designs. Madam Howe, these are the schematics for an original invention that might just change the world. 
Its manufacture is relatively simple, and I can supply you with all raw materials. I can pay well. There are only two significant caveats. And what are those? The first is the time. I need them completed and ready for shipment in 48 hours. And the second? I need 150 units. I see. To your two caveats, I have three caveats as well, beginning with my examination of the schematics. Fair enough. Here. Hmm. The unit would be about... Roughly the size of a Gladstone bag. Yes, I see. Wire coil here and magnets. Well, assuming that we begin the clock from the time that materials are delivered to me, and assuming your finances allow for the sizable expense of diverting a large section of my workforce and repurposing machinery, I can do this. Our money is good. Your second caveat? Is the purpose of these devices illegal? That does depend on your definition of illegal. Contrary to the laws of the state. Then yes, illegal. I see. If you meant by illegal, criminal or unethical, I would say no. No? Madam Howe, these devices are part of inciting a revolution. Are they weapons? Yes and no. I have no time for riddles. Very well. It is a wireless receiving device. Wireless? How? Transmission on electromagnetic waves. Waves? Of course. Ingenious. It uses the new alternating current. And what does this transmission trigger? Bombs? The human voice. Astonishing. So, what will you use these to say? We are preparing to take down the current government of England. Through violence? Only when absolutely necessary. Well, I'll say this much. It's not a good government. The policies are cruel, and cruel men emerge and grow bold in times like these. Last week, a soldier spit on me. And that was two streets from here. Worse happens out of Old Town. I don't feel safe. My people don't feel safe. This certainly doesn't feel safe either. No, it isn't safe. If we fail, this may well be tracked back to you. I will sign any paper that you want saying you knew nothing of our plans. Oh, no one would believe that. My reputation rests on being a woman who knows everything. As you wish. So, you'll take the job? There's a third caveat. Ah. Your name? Madeline Brass. The late Lady Madeline Brass. Yes. Let's see your profile. All right. Help me, Bob, it's true. I've seen it as a silhouette. Well, then. Well, then, Lady Brass. It would be an honour to do business with you. And it would be diverting to start a revolution with you. I'll even give you the same rate I give to members of my clan. 
Would that be your Chinese or Scottish clan? Both, of course. You should see our tartan. The two women shake hands and begin discussing specifics of pay and schedule in this enterprise between an incognito pair of the realm and a Sino-Scot magnate. Coded messages, schematics for wireless sets, and some awfully close quarters for our favorite son Cyril and a handsome Jesuit priest. Could there be untoward results? Join us next time for revelations making clearer at least some of these issues in the next episode of Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions and features Kate Cray as Lady Brass, Charles Leggett as Lord Brass, Catherine Grant Sutty as Gwendolyn Brass, and Jeremy Adams as Cyril Brass, with Larry Albert, Dennis Bateman, Margie Bickman, Lisa Carswell, Amy Decker, Nancy Fry, Ronnie Hill, Philip Keeman, John Longenbaugh, Matt Middleton, Terry Edward Moore, Tad Morgan, Pam Nolte, and Nikki Vissel. Brass was recorded at Jack Straw Studios, engineered by Joel Maddox, with sound design by Kirsty Gilmore, and music composed by Bruce Monroe. It was written and directed by John Longenbaugh. For more information on Brass, go to battlegroundproductions.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, and to support us, fund us on Patreon, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>